in fact, I was tempted to ask uh, the, you, know, you to tell the title of the message after uh, you know, we have sung all those songs. Uh, this is the eighth sermon in the series on prayer. I hope to uh, wrap up uh, this series next time with the Lord's Prayer. Today I'm going to speak on prayer in times of darkness. Prayer in times of darkness. Most of us have been gone through times of darkness. Some of us may be going through times of darkness right now. How should we pray in times of darkness? Is there any help and encouragement from the Bible? You know, the book of Psalms is also called as the prayer book. You know, many Psalms, if you read, you know, they're all prayers by people who are going through suffering and they're crying out to God for, you know, relief from their suffering. Some of the Psalms, when you read, they're all surrounded by the enemies. They're overwhelmed by their situations and therefore they're crying out to God for deliverance from their situations. Interestingly, in all the Psalms, when you come towards the end, the Psalm always ends on a note of hope. There is hope that you find. You know, all this people are praying in the midst of sickness, in the midst of trials, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of loss. If you, if you are able to relate with the Psalms, you find all kinds of emotions in this in the, in the book of Psalms. But all the Psalms, most of the Psalms, they end on a note of hope. For example, Psalm 3.8, it ends like this. From the Lord comes deliverance. That's how the Psalm ends. Psalm 5.12, surely Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as a shield. This only shows, it's not that they've come out of the situation. This only shows that somewhere the psalmist is feeling that God has started working in their situation. Or at least he senses the presence of God in his lives. But there are at least two psalms. If you read all the 150 Psalms, at least there are two Psalms that end with hopelessness and darkness. You know, in other words, there are two prayers in the book of Psalms that end in hopelessness and darkness. Today, let us meditate on one such Psalm. Uh, let's rise to our feet for the scripture reading taken from the book of Psalms, chapter 88, verses 1 to 18. Please follow these Psalms careful, verses carefully. Psalm chapter 88, verses 1 to 18. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your 
care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. This is God's word. Kindly be seated. <clears throat> this psalm shows that the experience of darkness also has its place in the life of believers. It teaches us that life always does not have happy endings. Suffering, sickness, trials, troubles, brokenness, and darkness are part and parcel of human existence. Not only for unbelievers, even for believers who are devoted to God. The Old Testament scholar Derek Kidner says, the happy ending of most Psalms is to be seen as a bonus, not a due. Times of darkness is not a proof of either God's displeasure or his defeat. Listen to this carefully. Times of darkness is not a proof of either God's displeasure or his defeat. In the psalm that we read, if you have followed it, darkness occurs three times. It is there in verses 6, it is there in verse, in verse 12, and also it is there in verse 18. The psalm ends with darkness in the Hebrew Bible. You know, like we end our prayer, Amen, in the Hebrew Bible, the prayer ends with the word darkness. You know, the message version has tried to uh, translate in that way. Uh, the message version 1818 says, you made lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. You know, what kind of prayer has the darkness as its last word? With darkness as its last word, what is the role of the psalm in the Bible? 
the psalm is doing a lot of good if we listen to it attentively and carefully. Sometimes believers have a wrong understanding of suffering, you know, in their life when they have to face suffering, they are not able to process their suffering or in some of the cases, people just give up their faith. You know, for the, for the past 10 days or so, I've heard so many cases, you know, where people have told me, pastor, he was the youth pastor in his church. He was the worship pastor. He was on fire for God. And now he has just left his faith. We don't know what has happened. He used to quote the scripture by heart. Now he's say, using the very same words, you know, to question our faith. I'm not telling stories. These are real examples, not from elsewhere, right here in Bangalore. That is the reason it's important for us to understand the meaning of the psalm. There are at least four lessons we can learn from this psalm. The first lesson is darkness is real. You know, it is not an imaginary darkness. Darkness is real. And the second lesson is God's grace abounds. The third lesson is Satan is defeated. And the fourth one is hope is real. Darkness is real. God's grace abounds. Satan is defeated and hope is real. Let's look at these uh, things one by one. Darkness is real. This psalm teaches us that sometimes darkness can last a very long time in the lives of believers. As we read the psalm again and again, all that we can find is, you know, in the psalm, it seems to end without the slightest hope. That's the way you can make out if you read the psalm. Though the psalm begins with faith, it's not that an unbeliever is praying. He's a believer. He's praying. Psalm 88.1 says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. So in this case, the psalmist is not an unbeliever. He's a believer. He knows God. But as you read, there is no ray of light. There's, the psalm is full of darkness. You know, except for this one verse, the rest of the psalm offers us no encouragement. You can't even say there is a hope in something he says. So the psalm is, this, this prayer is teaching us we can do everything we know we can pray and pray and pray and do what we ought to do, believe in God, live rightly as far as we know, and still be in darkness for a long, long time. There are two kinds of darkness that are discussed in the psalm. One is outer darkness and the other is inner darkness. When I say outer darkness, inner darkness, please don't confuse this darkness with sin. It is not that psalmist is leading a sinful life. There is no hint in the psalm where the psalmist is leading a sinful life. It is not about sin. You know, when I talk about outer darkness, the situations and circumstances are so bad. 
all that he can experience is darkness outside. The psalmist is having a real problem out there. It is a real problem. It is there and he's facing it. We do not know exactly the nature of the problem. You know, most of the psalms, they don't specify the specific nature of the problems that they are undergoing. And it is good so that we can relate to our situations. You know, that is why you can use this. It is called as a prayer book. You can use the psalm as your prayer and you can relate to various situations that we, as a human being, we go through in our lives. But the least that we can make out is all of his closest friends and loved ones have been taken away from him and he is about to face death. And that is the darkness outside that is facing. In other words, his situations and circumstances, they offer him no hope. There is darkness. But in this psalmist case, there is darkness inside also. We can handle our darkness outside if we don't have darkness inside. But when we have darkness outside as well as inside, it becomes difficult to handle our situations. We can handle any serious challenge, struggles, disappointments in our outer world, provided we don't have the darkness inside. When I say darkness, it is not sin. When I say darkness, inner darkness is this psalmist is not feeling any sense of God. He cannot sense the very presence of God. That is inner darkness. And that is the struggle he is facing. He feels God's anger is on him. You know, God has poured out his anger on him. That's the way he feels inside. He feels he's rejected by God. He just can't feel God's love. He just can't feel God's care. He just can't feel God's presence in his heart. If we are true to ourselves, sometimes we go through situations like this. If you are, you know, one is to just brazen it out, come what may, not just suppress our emotions and our feelings and say, no, God is there. God is there. You can handle it that way. If you are true to your emotions, you tend to feel, you know, God, I don't know where. I don't know where. That's what the psalmist is feeling. If you see verses three to five, he says, I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. Here is a man who prays and prays. You know, sometimes you people say, you pray, everything will become all right. So here is a man who prays and prays, does everything possibly he can. Not a, he's not a bad man. He's not a wicked man. Yet when all is done, he's still in the darkness. This psalm is teaching us a tough lesson tough lesson for our lives. You know, for example, we can be morally upright, work very sincerely in our workplace, in our job, pray and pray, and still things may not go right in the workplace. I'm just giving one experience, you know, experience in one area of our lives. 
You can apply it in your relationships, you can apply it in your finances, you can apply it in your health, you can apply it in any different places. In other words, we can keep, we may be doing everything right, we may be praying to God, but still things are not, things will, are not going right. That's what's happening in this place. Now, how does this lesson help us? It helps us enormously. This is this is this psalm helps us enormously in facing our life situations. You know, sometimes that's why I said Christians have a very simplistic understanding that if you believe in God and, and do everything right, then everything will work out well. That's the very simplistic Christian understanding. If our understanding of the Bible is so superficial, then we will not be able to face difficult situations like the death of a loved one, breaking relationships, failure of our children, loss of finances, unfaithfulness of our spouse. We will not be able to handle these situations when our understanding of Christian faith is so simple. It is important to know that our expectations control our, how we experience and respond to our circumstances. Our expectations control how we experience and respond to our situations and circumstances. You know, if you, if you just try to find out, you know, the modern psychology, or for that matter, the MIT University is trying to find out, you know, how people respond to the same circumstances differently. All from the Bible, they will add their language and we think, oh my goodness, psychology is so advanced. Psychology is not advanced. They have just taken from the Bible and they're now teaching us that, you know, it is basically our expectations, you know, that determine how we respond to the situations. And they say, oh, now this is the time for you to succeed. If you learn this, you can face any situations, whether you succeed or fail, read the word of God, it is there. Psalm 88 tells us, it teaches us, you know, how to handle our life. The God teaches us, the God of the Bible teaches us how to handle our life, how to face failures in our lives. You know, our perceptions of the world is influenced by our expectations. That's the reason why we were trying to teach our little children in the children's church about worldview. Some of us have become adults without learning about worldview. We feel as though we don't have a worldview, but all of us have a worldview. And we were teaching our little children for two to three months about worldviews. It is important because if your worldview is not right, your expectations will not be right. And you will be disappointed, discouraged. You'll become a failure at the end. So we should have the correct worldview. Once we acknowledge that we are living in a broken world, go back to Genesis chapter three. And when you acknowledge that we are living in a broken world, then it becomes far more easier to handle our broken desires, our broken dreams, and our broken lives. We are living in a broken world. So there is no guarantee that everything will go smoothly. There's no guarantee in that. Darkness is real. Darkness is real in this broken world. It is because of the darkness, we are looking forward for the world to come. If there has been no darkness, if there has been no brokenness, we will not even look forward 
to something that is yet to come. So now, since darkness is real, the good news is in the midst of darkness, God's grace abounds. That is the good news. In the midst of darkness, God's grace abounds. It is only as you go through these moments of darkness, I'm sure all of us will testify that as I went through these moments of darkness, I felt God's grace abound in my life. I felt, though I, I you know, once you come out, you will say, I felt God's presence. You know, God's grace abounds in the midst of darkness. On what basis do I say from this psalm? Let's look at verses 10 to 12. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Grace abounds in these verses. Can you see grace abounds in these verses? No, grace doesn't abound. Here is a man talking to God. A created being talking to his creator. See his language. You know, he's not talking to God. He's cross-examining God. He's questioning God. He's accusing God. Do you call this as a respectful language? Do you say, you know, the man is very sincere, is very respectful? Do you say that? Do you say he's controlling his anger? Do you see he's controlling his emotions? He is accusing God for his situation. He's accusing God for his situation. Not only he's accusing God for his situation. Now look at verse 15. He says, from my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Do you remember? Have you heard statements like this? What, what man, you're talking about God from my childhood nothing good. He has never done anything good. You see my sister, brother, aunt, uncle, they're all fine except me. Have you heard language like that? That's what the psalmist is doing. He's not only he's using intemperate language, he's superimposing the present situation to his past life. In other words, he's seeing his past life and experiences by what's happening right now. From a youth, I have suffered and I've been close to death. He is rationalizing. He says, God, you have never been a good God to me. I have suffered. I have seen only darkness. Do you think it is true that God was not with him from his youth? It is not only untruthful, it is also disrespectful, the language that he uses. Imagine in a Muslim country, if you pray to Allah in this language, what will happen? You will be considered as a blasphemer, stoned to death. Can anyone dare to speak to Allah like this? Or in our own country, can we address a letter to the prime minister in this language? In all probability, you will be, be put behind the bars on charges of sedition. But here is a man speaking to God. But the very presence of these prayers in the Bible, 
God did not censor this. He could have done it. He could have just taken this out from his book. The very presence of these prayers in the Bible shows how gracious is our God. God's grace abounds when he introduced himself, when he gave the visiting card to Moses, card to his Moses, he said, the Lord, the Lord, I'm gracious and compassionate God, he's a gracious God. That is the reason this prayer is there in this book. God understands our human nature very well. He understands. Not only he understands our human nature, he understands that human beings, they talk like this in times of desperation. In times of darkness, this is the way human beings talk. So not only he understands, he is ready to associate with people like this. He's willing to walk with people who talk to him like this. Don't you see God's grace in this? These are the moments the psalmist is walking through the darkest valley. And this is the language he uses and God is walking with him, carrying him. That is our God. God's grace abounds. He is not a God who expects you to be perfect. He is not a God who says, I will walk with you only when your language is right. He is not going to say, you have, you know, committed contempt of court. He's not going to say that. He's a God who is willing to walk with you in your times of darkness and brokenness. That is our God. What a great God we serve. He's willing to identify himself with people like us when we go through darkness and we accuse God like this. That's why the Bible says while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we were perfect. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, it's in the moment of darkness. Darkness is real. And it is in moments of darkness, God's grace abounds. And because God's grace abounds, Satan is defeated. Because God's grace abounds, Satan is defeated. On what basis do we say that Satan is defeated? You know, Satan has no originality from the beginning. He cannot think of his own. So he's only repeating the same thing he has been doing from time immemorial. So what did he do? You know, if you read Job chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, you know, it says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Surely he will curse you to your face. It is not story about Job. It is our story. Even today, Satan is accusing God, standing in the presence of God, he's accusing you and me in the very same language. He's doing that. In Psalm 88, the Satan is defeated. That's, that's very certain. However bad the situation you know, might appear in the Psalm 88, something is happening in the psalmist's life. Something is happening 
in the in his inner life of this man something beautiful is happening in this man's life though he exaggerates his situations though he screams though he shouts though he accuses god but something beautiful is happening in the psalmist life even today satan accuses stands before god and accuses you and me do you think pastor abraham put your name there daniel roshan put put your name do you think they are all serving you they are not serving you they are serving you because you are blessed them you are blessed him you are blessed his work you are blessed his family you are blessed his job you are giving him promotion even before it is due you have given him three houses god you just take your hand from him and then you see whether he is serving you or he is serving you because of what he is getting from you take your hand from him that's the way satan is accusing even today don't give you say he is serving you take this away from him and then you see whether he is really serving you take away his ministry from him take away his health from him take away his finances from him take away his reputation from him let people accuse him blame him humiliate him and then you see whether he still serves you or not whether he serves you because of who you are or is he serving you because of all the things that is getting from your hand take away all his earthly comforts and the lord says everything they have is in your power and satan puts god's children in the deepest pit he does it satan is real if you like to hear it or not i don't know but he is real you know sometimes we don't like to hear this some of the things but there it's a reality just because you say he is not there it doesn't mean he is not there he is there he is there that's why we have spiritual struggles that's why you have the book of ephesians the last chapter is there satan is there and he's still active in the especially in the lives of god's children if he's not active no he is targeting god's children and satan puts god's children into deep pit and it is in those moments you come to realize whether you are really serving god or you are serving god because of what he has been giving you it is only in moments of darkness we know whether we are serving god for who he is not because of what we are getting from god it is only in times of darkness you actually turn into someone serving god for nothing we just worship him for nothing not because what i am going to get from god because he is god i just want to worship him and when you choose to stick to god hold on to god in times of your darkness you realize that has darkness lifts darkness may be there for a long long time but as darkness lifts god has turned your heart into something wonderful god has turned your heart into something beautiful god has turned your heart something into greatness you get to have a great heart brave heart it is god's doing your soul is strengthened no longer any force on of this earth can have any weight on your soul your soul is strengthened 
you know, if there is hardly a spirit or if, if there's hardly a spark of hope in this psalm, you know, in these 18 verses, it is in the title. That's where you find the spark of light. And quite often we don't bother about the title. And it is the title which gives that spark of hope. The title of the psalm says that this is a prayer by Haman or Heman, the way you want to pronounce it, by Heman, the Ezraite. The title. There's a prayer by Heman, the Ezraite. Who is this Ezraite? Who was this man? Let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 31 to 33. These are the men David put in charge of the music in the house of the Lord after the ark came to rest there. They ministered with music before the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Here are the men who served together with their sons from the Kohathites, Haman, the musician. Haman was the leader of the Kohathites Guild of Musicians. If you go back to Chronicles, you'll find this. Imagine to the supposedly God-forsaken, that's what the psalm says, no? God-forsaken author. You know, we owe Psalms 42 to 49 and Psalms 84 and 87. We owe it to him. I will just read just a couple of words. 42, the first verse. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. He's the man who has written that. And he ends, put, he, this is the way he ends, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. This is a Haman's song, man who had been through darkness. You can read 42 to 49 wonderful Psalms that have blessed millions of people. Psalm 46, 1. God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. The man who questions the very existence of God, the presence of God, he says, God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. The last verse of the chapter says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Some of the greatest Psalms you get from the mouth of Haman. 42 to 49, 84 and 87. Because he went through darkness, his heart was turned into something great. His heart was turned into something wonderful. And that's the reason he was able to write. Let's come to the last point. I'll make it as an application uh, instead of making it a separate one. The last point, you know, hope is real. You know, we started saying that darkness is real. And in the midst of darkness, the good news is God's grace abounds. And it is because of God's greatness, God's grace, Satan is defeated. And I say now, the best news is hope is real. In the beginning, I said, there are at least two Psalms in the book of, in the prayer book or in the book of Psalms that end in despair and darkness. The one is Psalm 39 and the other one is Psalm 88. Now let us look at the last verse of Psalm 39. The last verse of Psalm 39 says, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. This is the last verse of Psalm 39. Now let us look at Psalm 88, the last verse of Psalm 38. You have taken from me, friend and neighbor, darkness is my closest friend. Does this remind you of somebody? Does this remind you of somebody? I can't hear. 
maybe my hearing uh, capacity is reducing. I can't hear any one of you. Jesus, right? Let's go to Matthew chapter 27, 45. Matthew chapter 27, 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In his darkness, Haman thought that God had forsaken him, but it was not true. He thought, but it was not true because God had not forsaken him. As Christians, we know that our Lord Jesus Christ took the ultimate darkness. Jesus Christ took the ultimate darkness and God turned his face away from him. He took the ultimate punishment because of you and me. On the cross, he was ready to face darkness. He was ready to endure God turning his face away from him because of his love for you and me. That's the reason we say hope is real. God will never leave us nor forsake us. We can be confident. You know, we might not know what's happening around. You know, everything may be failing. But whatever may be that, one thing we are very sure, God will neither leave us nor forsake us because he took that ultimate darkness and God turned away his face away from him. God will neither leave us nor forsake us. God is there with us even when we can't feel him at all. God is there with us even when we can't feel him at all. There are moments in life we might feel, oh God, where are you? I can't feel you. I can't sense your presence. But remember, he will never, never leave us. Never leave us. That is our God. That is why we can pray in darkness. Come what may, hold on to him. Cling to him. We might, there's no need for us to know all the answers of life. Whether there is a happy ending, sad ending, doesn't matter. Hold on to him because he's there with us, with us. This table reminds us we are never, never alone. Haman prayed in darkness. All that he felt was only darkness and darkness. But he, his prayer was to God. Don't go around telling your stories. Pray to God. Whatever, however you feel. It may not be a respectful language, but hold on to him. Hold on to him. Express your emotions, feelings. In the presence of God, you can do that. God understands you. You can say, God, you're a bad God. Don't try to be very reverential when deep down in your heart, all that you're feeling is anger, bitterness, discouragement. Life is not easy, but God has given us a way to live out this life. We are living in a broken world. You know, if you talk to the people, people will always say, why your life? What has happened to you? How can this happen? As though they are God. 
God has never promised us you are problem free, trouble free. Everything will go smooth. You know, everywhere you will be appreciated. You will be applauded. God has never promised a life like that. That is why your expectations have to be real. Your expectations, you can go to MIT University and you can just put this uh, expectations determine our response and you will see they have done a lot of research on this. All from the Bible, then they won't claim that. It's from the word of God, but they'll do that. Okay, it's important for us to have real expectations in life. In real expectations is we are human beings. We can do everything right, perfectly right, but still, it's, you know, you can raise up your children perfectly well, but they'll be a failures. You don't care for your children, they may be successful. So, you know, life is real. It's a broken world. But one thing is, what is true is, you know, God never leaves us. God never, he never, he will, he will walk with you in the darkest valley. You feel him or you don't feel him, he's there. Look at the cross and cross gives that hope. Today, whatever might be your situation, look at the cross, he's with you. There he remembered you, he took your darkness. God's God turned away his face away from him, not from you, not from you. Whatever darkness you are facing is only an apparent. You it is not a real darkness. Real darkness was trust upon our Lord Jesus. Go out in hope. Hope is real. Hope is real. We may have darkness, but remember, Hope is real. God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. And that is our confidence.